You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. One of the many things I encountered online this week uh, was a pieced together video of a bunch of celebrities singing John Lennon's Imagine. Uh, Maybe you saw it. Now, think about this. During a time when people are frightened and anxious and unsure of what lies ahead, the song that goes viral offers people this hope. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Here was John Stone Street's response. John is the president of the Colson Center, and I think he rather accurately pointed out the problem with this. Here's what he said. So, you're telling me that to imagine this world is all there is, people have no source of intrinsic value, and history is headed nowhere should make me feel better about a pandemic? Friends, everyone on the planet is looking for a reason to hope. They are desperately searching for someone or something to put their hope in. And never do we see this more clearly than during a time of difficulty and suffering, much like what we're experiencing now. Now, even for believers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of their sin and eternal peace with God, even followers of Christ face times and seasons of uncertainty and doubt. Again, this often happens when we face suffering and difficulty, doesn't it? Consider this, brothers and sisters, the the story of the early church, the story that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record for our benefit and instruction. This story is the true account of regular people, saved by grace, who endeavored to walk with Jesus in the face of great hostility and during a time of tremendous difficulty. Now, the difficulty that we are presently facing is far different than what the early church encountered. But even so, there is much encouragement for us to remain faithful and hopeful during this coronavirus trial. Let me quickly catch you up and remind you of where we are in our study. Paul has been traveling to and visiting Gentile congregations. He's been preaching Christ, encouraging believers, and collecting an offering to take back to struggling believers in Jerusalem. But when he arrives in Jerusalem, he almost immediately faces severe opposition. You've heard about this as we've studied through chapters 21 22, 23, and 24. Here's the way Luke records this for us. It all centers around a number of speeches Paul has given in various settings. First, he addressed the crowd in Jerusalem in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. 
Then he addressed the Jewish council in Jerusalem in chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Then he addressed the Roman governor Felix in Caesarea in chapter 24, verses 1 through 21. In chapter 25, then, Paul briefly addresses another official named Festus. All of this leading up to Paul's public speech before King Agrippa in chapter 26. So here's what I want to do this morning. I I simply want to read through chapter 25 as it continues telling Paul's story and it sets up the events of chapter 26. And then I want to share just one brief observation with you from the first 11 verses of chapter 26. So now, make sure your Bible is open, and I want you to follow along as I read all the way through Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. As they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. 
Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. It's fascinating, isn't it, to hear what a difficult time these government leaders are having trying to figure out what exactly Paul has done that is so terrible. Now we arrive at chapter 26. This is not only the grand finale of Paul's defense speeches, but it is the last major message we will hear from the lips of Paul in the book of Acts. It's important to realize that what takes place in chapter 26 is not a legal trial. Rather, it's a hearing to advise Festus. But of course, for Paul, this is simply another opportunity to declare the good news of Jesus Christ and to do so with boldness and without apology. So let's pick up the story again in chapter 26 and verse 1. Look at the text with me. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, friends, listen to the theme. Listen carefully. Listen to the theme that emerges as Paul begins to make his defense. Look at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? 
What dominant idea or theme jumps out of those five verses? What's the theme of hope? We find it most prominently in verses 6 and 7, but Paul is not talking about the idea of hope in, in some generic sense. No, it is tethered to the person and work of Jesus Christ, specifically as we see in verse 8, the hope of a future resurrection that is only found in and through Christ. If you remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed about this. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees denied it. But friends, let's not miss this. Paul is not primarily interested in shedding light on a theological debate that was raging within the Sanhedrin. He was primarily concerned with making the gospel clear. And at the very heart of the gospel is what? It's hope. This is why Peter encourages believers to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In fact, this is essentially what Paul is doing here, isn't it? Listen again to verses 6 and 7. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. All Paul is saying here is this. I believe that God has fulfilled the promises and prophecies made throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and I believe they have been fulfilled in Jesus. Specifically, Paul has in mind the promise that all who are in Christ will be resurrected from the dead and will ultimately be gathered together in the presence of God. You see, friends, as Paul states in verse 7, This is the hope that drove many Jews to earnestly obey the law. This is what motivated their tireless worship. His point is that this isn't something that he has invented. It's not a creation of his own imagination. This is the true hope of Israel. And it's found entirely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. In short, Paul's hope was in Jesus alone. And this is the message that he wants to share with everyone who will listen. Place your hope in Jesus. Now keep that in mind as we move into verses 9 through 11. Listen to what Paul declares. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So what's Paul's point here? Well, he's admitting that he used to think like those who oppose him now think. 
At one time, he hated Christians just as much as certain Jews now hated him. Consider again verse 9. He opposed, what a strong statement. He opposed the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, he not only locked up saints, but he voted for their execution. Verse 11, he persecuted followers of Jesus severely, hoping they would recant their faith and openly reject Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, why did Paul live this way? Think about his audience and think about the argument he's been making. His passionate persecution of Christians and his violent opposition to the spread of the gospel, well, it was fueled by his religious convictions. He believed that he was pleasing God. He believed that he was earning God's favor. In other words, Paul, as Saul, the religious zealot, he was placing his hope in his own religious performance. As Paul is speaking before King Agrippa, and as he explains what he believed before his Damascus Road experience and what he now believes after, we find a contrast in hope. And this reminds us, doesn't it, that everyone is searching for hope. As we see in Paul's own example, there are only two options for those searching for hope. You will either find it in yourself or you will find it in something or someone outside of yourself. Everyone knows that something in the world is broken. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. So everyone is searching. They are desperately looking for a reason for hope. How can I make sense of everything? What's the answer to the problem? And again, there are really only two options. You will place your hope in something or someone in this created world which really means that you have the answers you need. Or you will realize that true and lasting hope cannot be found in yourself or anything you can accomplish or your, or your own abilities. It's nothing you can lay hold of. But in coming to this realization, friends, you will be ready to hear about the one who did something for you. You will be ready to hear of the uncreated one who voluntarily entered into the brokenness of this world and through his death and resurrection, he now offers hope to everyone. This is what Paul experienced. A fundamental transformation of his source and object of hope. It was revealed by grace that what he was so desperately searching for, well, he could only find it in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, like those celebrities who cooperated to sing an anthem 
of utter hopelessness. We are surrounded right now by people who see with tremendous clarity that the world is broken. And so they're looking, they're searching, they're grasping for hope. What a great opportunity for us. We can show them Jesus. We can testify to the hope that we have, just like Paul does in our text, to point anyone who will listen to the hope that is only found in Jesus. There's a wonderful old hymn that's been rattling around in my head all week. Most of you will know it and know it well. Some call it, My Hope is Built. Others call it, On Christ the Solid Rock. But I want you to hear the second and third stanzas of the chorus. And I'm sharing this both as a means of encouraging you and as a means of pushing you to share this glorious truth with those who are desperately searching for hope. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, in this moment, fill our hearts with hope. The hope of Christ, crucified and raised from the dead, there is no greater hope than this. I pray during this time of uncertainty that that this hope would be displayed in our lives to our families, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. As they grasp for some way to make sense of what's happening, as the sense of hopelessness rests on those who do not know Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give your people opportunities to declare the hope of Christ. Fill our hearts afresh with this hope and put it on our lips. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.